Thank you, Rick. Well, good morning. Uh, you know, a passage like that, it seems like it's good to just say amen and go home. Uh, I, I, I feel that. I, I feel a few things this morning. Uh, my dear friend Johnny, I asked him yesterday, he was in the hotel room with me reading from the Psalms, but I asked, so what, what is your favorite book of the Bible? I, I've known Johnny now over 10 years, and I don't know that I ever asked that question. And he said, Isaiah. So I'm like, why am I preaching this morning? Why not have Johnny preach from Isaiah? But uh, listen, my heart is full, but I saw the time, the rice and beans is at 12, so I don't want to kick into this Philly mode and just start talking so fast. But just a few things before we tuck ourselves behind Isaiah, if you will, and, and just get low and follow him. We'll let him take the lead and we'll just get behind him, so to say. Uh, but so many things. I'm just so grateful for you all this morning. I just want to echo very briefly a few things. First, thank you for your generosity. You know, I see your Samaritan's Purse gift. I see the tree and the things you're doing there. And then, and then you hear about this opportunity uh, at Casa. And, and it has grown. Uh, actually, it's, it started with this idea of just giving these kids shoes. It's a, it's a long story, but there are two climates there. The orphanage is in a climate much like ours. And La Paz is very unlike ours. It's cold. Uh, and so we're just trying to do something very practical for these students. Uh, and it's a beautiful thing. But in the meantime, they had some heavy rains and winds that they knew this roof project was coming. It, it just really picked up in, in a bad way. Uh, and so there it is. Uh, I don't know if this is being recorded right now. If you keep this to yourself, uh, somebody gave $5,000 this week for the roof. Just, just saw it on Facebook. Thank you for that. Because we don't want them to know yet. <laughs> We, we don't need $5,000 for shoes. But as Tim said, there, there's no lack of needs. The needs go on and on. You have four ambassadors here in your local church. You've got Katie and Amy and yep. Tim and Kaylee. Right. So please talk to them. Talk about their experience. Uh, Tim's going back. Uh, so I hope, I hope we get to rejoice together, not only with new shoes, but, but a new roof uh, for these for these young men who have currently been rehoused while they're trying to just, while they're waiting on the Lord for what's going to happen there. Uh, one of their own, Lord willing, will be with us in Orlando and then go off to the Passion Conference in Atlanta. Uh, the team that went, uh, they did it themselves, these college students. They just, they just raised the funds to buy an airline ticket to get one of these young men here uh, with us, and, and perhaps some of you will meet him. Uh, can I just encourage you? as Tim did. Don't, don't feel obligated to give to any of it. But if you give, just be ridiculous and trust God. Don't do anything under compulsion. Give to one of them. Give to all three of them. Give to none of them. Do as the Lord leads you to do in grace and joy and freedom, knowing he's the God who owns cattle on a thousand hills. And he'll provide. He's going to take care of Casa. He's going to take care of you. He's going to take care of me. He's never failed. He's never failed. The conference. I'll let you know a little secret. Thank you, Rick, for that plug. I hope you can meet Fidel. I hope you can meet his wife. They're, they're amazing. I, I, I know what will happen if they're at our conference in February. Your heart will be melted and you'll be ridiculous. I know that. 
Here's how we're trying to get them there. This whole grace partnership thing, it's growing. You know, we have a partner church in Ukraine now. Hosanna Fellowship just joined our partnership. It's beautiful, but it's another church in a poor place that won't be doing anything to help us financially. That's okay. That's not our goal, but it sure makes it challenging. But here's what we're trying to do. We're going to take a little bit of the registration fee, just a little from each one, about $10, to create an airfare account to get these friends here. If you're planning to come, I hope you are. The sooner you register, the sooner we can do that and make sure they get here and you meet them for yourself. You meet brothers and sisters from Ukraine. You meet wonderful but semi-cold people from Holland. We'll try to warm them up with Florida hugs. He's right. Johnny's right. They're, the, the Dutch, are, if you're here, God bless you. You're very direct and we need that. But we need other things too. So thank you, thank you, thank you a thousand times over. Thank you. We are looking forward to that conference together. Uh, lastly, I love my friend Johnny. I'm so glad he's here. I, I, as we pray for the message, uh, I imagine he hasn't shared some of these things with some of you, but Johnny's living life on both ends of the spectrum right now. And many of you, you know what this is like. Uh, he has two hospital visits when he gets home. Uh, one is for his mother, who is who's sick, who's up and down, was doing a little better yesterday, but we don't know what God's will is yet with her. So that's that end of the spectrum of life. And his oldest daughter is expecting her second child. So there'll be that hospital. I assume she's not doing a home birth. She will go to the hospital, okay. So some of you know that kind of life, right? That, that, that's life. So I want us to pray for Johnny. Also for the country, uh, you, you, you know the update. Uh, th there's some possible, maybe positive news this morning, but I think they're very well aware that it's, it's not yet a time to get their hopes up. Their hope is in God, though. So will you pray with me? Lord, thank you. Thank you for everything I just said. Not that I said it, but rather that these are things that are important to us. Lord, I thank you that Johnny was here to share about CASA. Lord, this orphanage, this is Grace Partnership's orphanage in a sense that religion that's pure and undefiled is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. Lord, we know you're sovereign and you will make all things right in the end, but you also delight to bring God, justice and peace and hope and everything in this life too. That's what you've called us to do. So please bring Casa near to our hearts today. Bless the lunch. Bless those who can't go. Bless the Christmas tree um, cards that are over there. Bless Samaritan's Purse. Bless it all. Do above and beyond what Trinity could even think to ask or imagine through their generosity in response to your generosity in Jesus. Lord, as we get behind Isaiah now, please, God, have mercy on us and speak to us from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, yesterday was personally a little rough for me on the college football scene. Like nobody won, it, well, Florida won, but come on, that was Vanderbilt. Uh, nothing else went well yesterday. 
I didn't watch any of those games, but I know enough about football to know that a wise coach knows when to punt. Well, I think a wise pastor also knows when to punt a passage to someone else. So, Tim, thank you for giving me Isaiah 6. (laughs) I don't think any pastor, I don't think any Christian feels qualified to preach any of God's word but especially passages like Isaiah 6. So I am, I am only standing here sheerly, wholly because of the mercy of Jesus Christ. But I do want to frame this with the wise, insightful words of a saint who's gone ahead of us, R.C. Sproul, <clears throat> which, by the way, if you have not read The Holiness of God by R.C. Sproul, you should. And if you have read... The Holiness of God by R.C. Sproul. You should read it again. He said, All preachers are vulnerable to the charge of hypocrisy. In fact, the more faithful preachers are to the word of God in their preaching, the more liable they are to the charge of hypocrisy. Why? Because the more faithful people are to the word of God, the higher the message is that they will preach. The higher the message is, the further they are from obeying it themselves. I cringe inside when I speak in churches about the holiness of God. I can anticipate the responses of the people. They leave the sanctuary convinced they've just been in the presence of a holy man. They hear me preach about holiness. They assume I must be as holy as the message I preach. That's when I want to cry and I join them in this. Woe is me. It's dangerous to assume that because a person is drawn to holiness in his study, that he's there by a holy man. There's irony here. I'm sure that the reason I have a deep hunger to learn the holiness of God is precisely because I'm not holy. I'm a profane man, a man who spends more time out of the temple than in it. But I've had just enough of the taste of the majesty of God to want more. I know what it means to be a forgiven man and what it means to be sent on a mission. My soul cries for more. My soul needs more. Mission is a response to encountering the holiness and grace of God. And so as I've said, let's follow the narration. I think the best interpretation of Scripture is scripture. So we'll just follow the narration and let it take care of itself. Isaiah has a vision. In the year that King Uzziah died. You ever you ever wonder about some of the details of scripture? Why, okay, what was in the okay, does it really matter what year it was? Yes, for a host of reasons for what was going on in Israel at the time. Now, you've been studying this book, so you know from the first five chapters, it, it, this time, at this time in Israel's history, they, they're really kind of, they've been riding a really, really fruitful, successful season, but things are about to change. In fact, they're already changing. It hasn't completely gone downhill yet, but the people, well, they become fat, happy, and lazy, and complacent is what's happened. Israel is not sharp right now. They've begun to grow dull. 
And in fact, Uzziah himself would be representative of that. If you go through the kings of Israel, he wasn't a bad king. He did some really good things, but, but as he got near to the end, he you know, kind of cruise control, set things on coast, which actually never works. We, we don't grow in God coasting ever. So King Uzziah himself was a reflection of this. In the year the King Uzziah died, this brought to termination a long and, and generally good reign. Think about this, the year that King Uzziah died. He was on the throne in Israel 52 years. So for someone like me, that would mean, as I approach 47 in January, that would mean my whole life, I vote. think of it this way, this would be, if this was the year right now, if 2019, King Uzziah died, he had been the president of the United States for 52 years, that means he took over from Lyndon B. Johnson in 1967. How many of us were not alive then in this room, right? So that means you only, think about this. Now, we, we can mourn when a president dies. I mean, I think when Jimmy Carter's time comes, I think, I think it's going to be appropriate that we mourn and celebrate that he'll be in glory. But, you know, maybe whatever, whatever your opinion is on his presidency. He's been a pretty good guy since, you know. I don't know what your opinion is. It doesn't matter. But we don't have, we don't have presidents that reign like that long. So I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I do remember Reagan's funeral. There, there was national mourning. Of course, Kennedy's assassination. You know, we've had these big moments. This was huge. 52 years. I mean, we don't have a governmental system that relates to that. I mean, unfortunately, what Bolivia is working through right now is a, a president slash dictator who thinks he can reign for 52 years. But the Constitution is saying, no, you can't. You get 10, I think, maximum. This is big. In the year that King Uzziah died. I saw the Lord. Where? In the temple. Isaiah went to the temple, probably not something unusual for him, but this is unique. It's a time of mourning. The temple may have been familiar to him, but it was about to change. Do you have places like that? Do you have a memory of any place like that? A place you'd been many times, grew kind of ordinary, but one day. I remember a long time ago in a faraway land called Gaithersburg, Maryland, when I was at the pastor's college, we had a classroom. It's pretty ordinary. In fact, it's pretty boring. No windows, nothing. It grew ordinary until one day. One day we took the Lord's Supper together. Time doesn't permit, but I never had before or since a time in the Lord's Supper like that time because the Lord came. It, it was not ordinary anymore. Do you have places like that? I hope you do. This is Isaiah in his moment. The temple was a symbol of God's presence in and with Israel, but it is not going to be a symbol in this moment for Isaiah. It's not, it's not the place that symbolizes the presence of God in this moment for Isaiah. It is the place where God came presence. And we're going to see what happens. 
An earthly king had died. I think there's significance in not only, I don't think this is here just because it was a 52-year reign. There is a contrast that we're supposed to get right away. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Now, you look closely in Isaiah, that's Lord, capital L, lowercase o-r-d. This is not the name of God, which is Yahweh. This is his title, I saw the sovereign one, Adonai. That's what that word is in Hebrew. That's the difference. Remember that in our English in Old Testament. When you've got L-O-R-D capital, we're talking Yahweh, the name of God. This is, this is a title of God. I saw the sovereign one. A, a sovereign had died. Actually, not really. The sovereign one was in the temple. In the year king, a king, a sovereign, lowercase s, died, I saw the sovereign one on a throne. Uzziah was in the ground. But this sovereign is on a throne. Earthly rulers who may think themselves sovereign They'll have their time. They'll leave the throne every time. This one is seated on the throne. It's language of permanence and eternality. I'm not going anywhere. Everything had changed and nothing had changed in Israel, at least for those whose hearts were on the Lord. An earthly king had died, but the sovereign was reigning, and he's about to hold court, and Isaiah's in court. Remember when we used to sing, open the eyes of my heart, Lord? You know, we kind of just jolly along to that song. What if he did that? It's like this. We'll come back to that. There's a throne a train of robes, seraphim, and smoke. I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple, sitting on the throne. He's reigning, he's ruling calmly, eternally. The train of his robe filled the temple. Now, he may reign calmly, but the sight of him leaves Isaiah awestruck. Florida annihilating Vanderbilt yesterday is not awesome. <laughs> For a host of reasons. This is awesome, or awful, or awe-inspiring. Let's, let's, let's reserve that word. Let's be more selective when we want to say something's awesome. This is awesome, what Isaiah is experiencing. The train of his robe filled the temple. A picture, a wedding you've been to. I don't remember. In fact, I'm pretty sure I did not measure the train of the robe of my wife on our wedding day. It wasn't this long. Now, in, in, in majesty, if we go over to England and, and, and be it like a royal wedding, a cathedral train can measure up to about eight feet. So that, that train behind that lady, that bride, 
about eight feet long. A royal cathedral, a little longer, more formal, about 10 feet. A, a, a more regular every day, you know, maybe, maybe I, don't, I don't know all the ranks and rulings and maybe like the 20th in line for the throne <laughs> over in England. They, they get more of a medium length, about up to five feet long. We've, we've all seen pictures. I'm actually not even thinking of England. I'm, I'm, for some reason, the sound of music is in my mind. You remember the scene there where they get married and, and the train of a robe? I mean, it's really long, but it's a massive church. I mean, the, the train of the robe is a little swallowed up in the grandeur and the size and the splendor of, of the, the church that they got married in. So, okay, pick, picture that. The train of his robe Built the temple. <laughs> I mean, how, how, I don't know what your dimensions are in this room, but just, just work with this room right here. You know, there's a wedding next Saturday, and she comes in. And we're all completely canvassed in this robe because it fills the whole. And there's Isaiah. See, in ancient times, the flowing train of a monarch's robe, that was a symbol of glory and splendor. The longer the robe, the more glory, the more splendor. Only the rich, only the powerful could afford to add extra length to their robes. The train of his robe filled the temple, symbolizing the infinite splendor and majesty and awesomeness of this sovereign one. As one preacher exclaimed, air is the atmosphere of earth, but God's glory is the atmosphere of heaven. And that's what Isaiah is getting completely swallowed up in. And that robe filling that temple, signifying the absolute authority of this sovereign one. There's no room for anybody else's trains in this place. There are no other rulers, even, even the longest ones. Uzziah, well, he died. Nobody else is here. There's only room for one sovereign one. And it's pure and it's radiant, displaying his divine perfection. There's no sovereign like this sovereign. None. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He's unhindered by the limitations of time and space. I mean, where are you going to get a train of a robe that long? When you're the sovereign one, these are not questions you have. You just have. And there are seraphim, this particular kind of angel. They've never sinned, right? Not these. And yet, with two wings, they're covering His face. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. With two, he flew. So radiant, so awesome and awful is the majesty of God that not even the angels assigned to minister to him who've never sinned can look directly upon him. They, when it says his, it's referring to the, the seraphim themselves. They weren't covering Isaiah. They're covering themselves. But they're singing. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of 
host, the whole earth, forget just the temple, the whole earth is full of his glory. Now, holy, holy, holy. They weren't lacking for lyrics. They weren't struggling for finding songwriting seraphim. That's not what's going on here. And it's not, it's not, as Ray Ortland Jr. said, holy, holy, holy is not just repetition, it's emphasis. It isn't one plus one plus one. It's perfection times perfection times perfection. That's what holy, holy, holy is about. Other this, other than, other than. One called to another. There's Isaiah. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. See, nothing about this trip to the temple is ordinary. Now, the house was filled with smoke. Now, remember, what, what do you know? What do you know about the temple at that time? What do we know about sacrifices? Would it have been unusual for there to be a little smoke in the temple? No. A little bit of incense? No, you know, it'd be like, maybe like a little stream of smoke going up for the sacrifice. But now the Lord is present. The whole place is filled with smoke. Now, those of you who've lived here on the Space Coast long enough, you know what it's like when a rocket launch or years ago a space shuttle launch breaks up the ordinary Titusville day? I mean, how many of you, you you've, you've had the windows of your house shake with a rocket launch? Yeah. No rocket launch was necessary. Just divine presence. Oh, good gracious, be careful if you're singing, open the eyes. <laughs> be careful what you wish for. In fact, that, that's part of the challenge. You know, I'm thinking, what's the, I just, like, what's the close of the message? Do we ask God to come do this? Like, I want to, but I don't want to. Because what God chose to reveal to Isaiah put Isaiah to the floor. So if God does in his sovereignty decide to visit us this way at any point during this service, whoever's doing the lunch, I hope it can wait because why? Because none of us, if that happens in this way, and that's not the point to try to replicate this, don't miss that. But get, get what's going on for Isaiah. This, this isn't like, what, we, if, if that happens, we're not going to leave here. You're not going to be at the lunch on time saying, wasn't that delightful? Wasn't that, wasn't that so nice of God to do that today, to like visit us? You know that room's always so ordinary, but like, wasn't it great when the train of his robe and the smoke and seraphim, and did you see the seraphim? Like, I didn't think they looked like that. Like, we're not going to be casual if that happens. We are going to join Isaiah and say, woe is me. I am lost. I am a man. I am a woman of everything unclean. And my eyes have just seen the Lord. There won't be, let's go to lunch after that. 
I dwell in the midst. I'm unclean. I am lost. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah, whose name ironically means the Lord saves, was a man of unclean lips. It's really this section, it's a short summary of the whole book. The sovereign one, Adonai, will save sinners. He'll bring that message through Isaiah. Isaiah is getting his calling. Isaiah wasn't a prophet before this. He's, he's getting his ordination. Where's Joseph? Josiah. Josiah, sorry, where are you at? You here? You and Isaiah, buddy. What's <laughs> yours? Party in December. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Could I just, as an aside, don't count this against the message time? Let's not distance ourselves from the rest of the people of our country as if we're so different. I'm a sinner in need of grace. I just described every American. I'm more like them than I am different. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean Twitter accounts. We're not that different. Redeemed, but not that different. Different because we're redeemed, but otherwise not different. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people. There's an identification. He's not, you get it. So in the presence of God with the fullness of his glory on display for Isaiah to see, he's lost, he's undone, he feels it, this is heavy. Yeah, I, I, think, I think about this, that was a different time, a different situation, but just, just the, the characters in scripture, they just teach us so much and we, we find ourselves identifying to varying degrees with, with different ones of them. So you've got Isaiah, woe is me. I was thinking about this. Remember Peter when he had an epiphany moment? It wasn't the same moment. But he's on the Mount of Transfiguration. I, I don't get this part about, I mean, I love Peter. I'm inspired by Peter probably because I'm a lot like him in the ups and downs of it all. But he hears God from heaven and he sees Moses and Elijah there with Jesus and he says, yeah, I think it's good that we're here. You want us to get some tents? I mean, we're going to be here a little while. We're going to have lunch. It's like I don't understand. I get Isaiah a little more. That makes more sense to me. That makes a lot more sense to me. He understands how unworthy he is to be there, to see what he's seen. He rightly concludes as far as anything in his ability to discern he rightly concludes, he's, he's not only undone, he's done. It's over because his eyes have seen the king. Now, again, the point is not that we replicate this moment, but have you ever truly been undone? I'm not talking about the kind of undone when a loved one dies or 
some kind of tragedy. That's not the kind of undone I'm asking. That's an undone. I'm talking about an awareness to some degree of how vile, wretched, filthy, unclean we are. I was, I was with a mutual friend of Tim and I, Bauer Evans, he's a pastor, suburban Boston, and I was there for a weekend visit. Uh, it was a Friday morning. We, we had a conference beginning that evening. Uh, and so uh, I had some time. He and I had, uh, I'd arrived, I think, Wednesday of that week. And he and I had gone out together for two nights, out to Cape Cod. He lived near there. So we were out there on like a personal retreat together. Uh, and so I went, I went to the beach, and I'm, and I'm going to take a prayer walk. You know, holy and spiritual Aaron is starting his day with the Lord. And, and, and in sincerity, that's what I was doing. I park the car, and I go over to where this walking path through all these dunes begins. And, and I saw something. What I saw isn't really significant as much as what I saw took me back. Took me back to my past. Took me back to pre-conversion. But, but as I'm walking, this moment was happening. I'm, I'm thinking back of pre-conversion Aaron. And here I am, and I know I'm redeemed and I'm forgiven, but, but I'm seeing the current Aaron still, you know what I'm talking about? Forgiven, made new, but in this thing we call progressive sanctification that I'll leave for your pastors to inform you on if you're not sure what I just said. I'm aware of how far short I am. And I am literally walking. I can't tell you. I don't remember how long it took. All I remember is being on my knees in the sand, crying like I haven't cried. Just crushed. What am I? I, I can't serve anyone tonight. God, this is me. And it just, I mean, physically, have you had any as much? It was cr literally crushing me. If you saw me, there was nothing on me, but there was everything on me and just driving me into that sand. And I can't say it was audible, but I remember it was, it was so personal. I'm just getting crushed and crushed. I can't get up. Just, just finish it. Just finish it. Just finish it now. Just, just take me here and tell my family or somebody he's dead in the dunes. And I'm just feeling it and feeling it. And this just gentle voice, Aaron, I see this. I see more. Like, what? There's more? And I love you. That was it. And I got up. Rather, I think he let me get up. I don't think I got up. I think he, I don't know if anybody else. I'm, I'm just. I, I want to see the video replay in the humor of that scene one day. I imagine I'm going to see this replay of all these people thinking they're coming and walking their golden retriever, and there's this guy weeping profusely, driven into the sand. Like, yeah, no, because they're New Englanders. They they're like the Dutch. They're kind of like standoffish too. They don't want to like. Hey, are you okay? No, nobody asks that in New England. They just leave you alone. 
Like, is he? I don't know. And often, so I just want to see the video replay. How many people didn't get to do their walk through the dunes while this guy is just crying his eyes out in the sand? Now, I, I, I told you how it ended, but before that moment, it was terrifying. I'm not asking for a show of hands, but if, if you had that, if you haven't, I, 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 I almost say, that I do, I say this with a degree of caution. Ask for it. Isaiah's done. Why? Why was that my experience? And I know you've got stories. Why is that your own experience? Here's why. When the finite, the unclean, and the mortal comes into contact with the infinite, the pure, and the immortal, there must be, there ought to be a profound sense of inadequacy to begin to see God is to begin to see how awful and desperate our plight is. The holiness of God discloses our rebellious and dirty nature. Now listen, I... I I am anchored in the grace of God. Don't misunderstand me here. This isn't about a sin focus. But believer, I'm asking you this question. When were you more clear on how sinful you are? The day of your conversion or today? For me, it's today. And any, any notion we might have had, you know, and remember this, the sovereign one, when he saved you, when he called you by name, he was not uninformed about how you would live after your conversion. He wasn't like, okay, I know all your wrongs prior and right up to your conversion, but now I've saved you, now let's see what happens. He's not unaware before the end is ever the beginning. He already was there. He knows everything about you and me. Everything. And yet he still brought us to Jesus. So just ask for it, but be careful. Because before you get lifted up, you're going to be brought low. And he'll let you know how long you'll stay there. That's Isaiah. I've seen, I'm finished you know, this is so different from our day. I mean, I love, we, we never, I, I'm, I'm guilty. We just don't seem to be able to balance anything very well with anything in life. What do I mean? I love, I love, I love, I love the accent and songs. I'm talking worship, Christian music, on the love of God, the acceptance of God. Yes, yes, and Amen. I had a counseling appointment recently. Pretty desperate situation. I had given an assignment ahead of time. Because one of the things I was concerned about is there was an overemphasis on one aspect of the character of God while there was a complete neglect of another aspect. So I tried to set that up graciously with some questions. And when they arrived, so what, what have you done with those questions? Well, actually, this was the response. Actually, I didn't do them because I really feel like God has constrained me in this season to only focus on his love. That sounds wonderful. In fact, that's kind of what I'd like to do every day. I mean, imagine this. 
you know, imagine there's a revival meeting sign, you know, revival meeting tonight. I love when people pre-announce revivals. That's it's a whole other message. We don't, ah, God help us. But imagine revival meeting tonight. Join us as your rebellious and dirty nature is disclosed before all. Who's coming to that revival meeting? Oh, because instead what we focus on is deliverance and healing. Yes and yes. But come see how awful. Come see how desperate. Bring your finite, unclean mortality into, into touch. I, I've not seen that revival sign, except in Scripture, and every time in Scripture. There's Isaiah. He didn't know he was going to a revival meeting. Brought low first to be lifted up. Woe is me. He's down. He's low. Now imagine this moment. Then one of the seraphim flew to me. Having, I mean, try to picture it. Having in his hand a burning coal. I mean, I remember getting a nine-volt battery on my tongue as a kid. <laughs> Any of you get that? If you're younger than me, it was a different time, and we all survived, okay? So calm down. <laughs> you probably don't want to invite me back for this, but, you, you know, child, children have survived a spanking or two, and they've survived a nine-volt battery to the tongue. <laughs> I don't know why. This is crazy. My parents love me, so don't worry about that. We're, we're really tight and good. I'm going to see them in a month. But they gave me a choice one day. I'd said something, and my, mom, my stepfather asked me if I wanted a 9-volt battery or a bar of soap. And I'd had the bar of soap before. I didn't like it. I had no clue. I'm not, I'm not here to tell you which one's preferable, but let me just say, <laughs> please email me later when one of you puts a 9-volt on your tongue because you're curious how it feels. But I've never had this. I mean, he's got this seraphim coming at him with a burning red hot, maybe white, because, you, you know, it's coming right at him with tongs. Now, the seraphim were flaming angels of fire themselves. What is a flaming angel of fire doing with a pair of tongs to hold fire? Because <laughs> that coal is Holy. That coal is set apart. You, 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 you don't just pick up. What were their names? You remember those guys, right? Ark of the Covenant? You, no. The wood wasn't somehow unique, except that it was called holy. And he touched my mouth. I'm not a doctor. But I do believe this is a correct statement. One of the most sensitive nerve endings on your body is right here. And because it's one of the most sensitive nerve endings, it's like the one most prone to injury. Like, oh, like when a burning coal would touch it. This has touched your lips. 
your guilt is taken away. And your sin atoned for. I'm a man of unclean lips. This has touched your lips. It didn't need to touch more. Fast forward to Peter again. He's a little confused about that one night. Upper room, last supper, remember? Let me wash your feet, Peter. No, never. Well, then you're not forgiven. Well, then wash all of me. Let Peter, just stop talking. Just stop. If I've cleaned your feet, I've cleaned all of you. His lips were touched. He's clean. From a coal, from the altar. Instead of burning his mouth, it healed not only his mouth, his whole person. Little may Isaiah have realized in that moment, that burning coal was symbolizing a future sacrifice. The finished work of Jesus Christ for sinners. Wow. And what would that cross of Christ proclaim? Your guilt is taken away. Your sins are paid for. You are clean. Welcome into my Father's house. So here's Isaiah undone, getting crushed, and in a moment, all the weight of shame and condemnation as he was cleansed with that offering. He's changed. But it's not to go back to business as usual. I didn't mean for this. I, I hope, I trust it was the Lord, but the prophetic word earlier about save from because we're saved for, that's what's going on here too. It's not, he's not about to now just walk out of the temple. Well, while that was special, no, no, not at all. And that's not supposed to be what conversion is either for any of us. Well, that was special. Yes, but wait, what? No, wait, whoa, more, way more, way more. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Then I said, here am I. Send me. The same man who a moment ago is woe is me is now send me. How? Why? Because his sins were forgiven. Listen. There is a pattern here. A pattern repeated in history. God appears People quake in terror. God forgives and heals. God sends. From brokenness to mission is the human pattern. From brokenness to mission. Not brokenness to business as usual. Not brokenness to nothing's changed. No, 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 no. From brokenness to mission is the human pattern. Pattern. Now, <laughs> you're going to see next week a little bit of humor here to me. But this is actually true of every Christian in varied ways. I am not the judge of anyone who gets up with a Bible and starts talking out of it. But this notion of your best life now and on and on and on, maybe, but probably not. Who will go? Send me. Like, wait, Isaiah, do you actually want to hear the assignment first? <laughs> he's already volunteered. You're going to see next week what he's getting into, but it's not pretty. 
Shorthand, go take a message to a people who don't want to hear it. Does that sound familiar at all? <laughs> this just happened down here. So Johnny's in town till Tuesday. Uh, so I was looking tomorrow. This is during the break. Don't worry. It wasn't during singing. I looked it up just to check temperature and all that. He's never been on an airboat ride. So I'm thinking, you know what? Tomorrow we'll go to Black Hammock. We're going to go to Black Hammock in the morning out there on Lake Jessup. Because nothing is more old Florida than that place that I know, uh, if you've been there. So we'll go to Black Hammock, and then we'll get a really horrible lunch in their restaurant right after. But you got to do it all together. It's the experience of it. Black Hammock on their way. Black, who's been to Black Hammock? You know what I'm talking This is the most old school, you know, like pickup truck, skull-chewing, redneckin' place that I've ever been in Florida. Now has gender-neutral bathrooms listed on their webpage. So you'll be happy to know tomorrow there's gender-neutral bathrooms where we're going. All right? Go out into the world. Who will go? Send me. Go out into the world and tell the world God made male and he made female. He made them in that image and he's not confused. Go tell the world. Go tell the world you don't need 19 different bathrooms. You just need two. Go tell the world. Go tell the world. They're just confused. You just got to go tell them. I forget who said it, Tim. Life didn't begin to get hard until I became a Christian. You feel like that sometimes? What is Ecclesiastes all about? I'm watching these people who don't love God or fear God at all. It's just all so easy for them. Well, sure it is for a time until judgment. This is the pattern. It's God's merciful pattern. You know, I was affected by this. I'd never quite seen this. And there's a lot more that would need to be said in a sermon on Psalm 51, but... You know, even David, whether he was conscious of it or not, he wrote about this pattern of from brokenness to mission. Now, you're like me. If you're familiar with Psalm 51, you don't even need me to read it, right? I mean, you know it's about David, Bathsheba, adultery, murder. It, it, it's crazy. Nathan comes to him. He's convicted. I'll skip down to verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. We sing that. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold in me a willing spirit. Oh, okay. But listen to this. Then I will teach transgressors your ways. You, you see that? I, you know, at first glance, Tim and I were in the same place that I heard this message preached. I mean, I, honestly, I confess to you, I was struggling a bit with what I was hearing. Like, what am I hearing? What am I hearing here? Is this like, is this like a, a man who just commits adultery and murder and like what? He's putting himself back up in the pulpit? Like, what is that about? That's not necessarily what he's saying. But what he, what he, what he recognizes as, as he walks with God in repentance, there'll be those times He'll teach transgressors. My tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. My mouth will declare your praise. Yeah, David, you sinned. You sinned greatly. Oh, greatly. You're broken. 
You're broken. You're humbled. But there will be times I will still use you in different ways in the future. Mission. Now I'm still, I'm still, maybe like you, Tim, I'm like, I gotta go back and listen to that message again. I gotta hear it again. I gotta hear it again. What is he saying? So we both heard this message, but here, here's what I do know. If God were not using broken people put back together by grace, then no one would be on mission. Who would there be? Now that, don't misunderstand that statement as flippant. No, 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 no. But rather, this is God's pattern. I mean, I marvel. I marvel at that. I mean, David, the man after God's own heart, is also a broken man. And it's like, the, it's like Acts' account of him has amnesia. It's 1 Samuel 13. But now your kingdom shall not continue, referring to Saul. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people because you, Saul, have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Well, guess what? David didn't keep it either. But it's like Acts. Like, you all have amnesia? Acts 13. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, 40 years. And when he removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will do all of my will. Guys, did you, like, not have a complete Old Testament when you wrote that down? They did. What is Hebrews 11, by the way? It's the hall of faith. Isn't it interesting? We know more about the lives of the people listed in Hebrews 11 than Hebrew 11 lists, right? All you got to do is flip left in your Bible. I was thinking about this. As far as my brain can remember, the only person who gets any playtime in Scripture that we don't eventually see the brokenness, I think maybe is Daniel. Melchizedek, but who was that guy anyway? We don't, you know, there's not a lot on him. <laughs> Salem priest, well, okay. Daniel. That doesn't mean he was sinless. We know he wasn't because there's no one righteous. No, not one. If God isn't restoring broken people to mission, then no one's on mission. Mission is a response to encountering the holiness and grace of God. Well, let me wrap this up. We're 17 minutes from rice and beans. <laughs> Friends, you and I, we cannot create self-renewal. Only grace can conquer and reconquer. And by the way, that's the pattern. Have you noticed, Christian, you didn't need conquered one time only. There is only one sacrifice. There is only that one initial time where we need place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I'm saying you don't need water baptized each Sunday, but we do need reconquered again and again and again. Have you seen that need? Listen, our war with sin is a war with a defeated foe, but it is still a war. In fact, one whole message in the conference on the Holy Spirit will be devoted to Romans 7. If that's a not great advertisement for the conference, we're going to get low for a whole session. 
without rushing right into Romans 8. We'll get there, but we're not going to be in a hurry. What is Romans 7? Paul the Apostle writing in present tense of the war for reconquering over and over and over again. We can't create that, but the Spirit does. Listen, condemnation will lead to hardness of heart, which is what your enemy wants. Now, what do I mean? Condemnation is a refusal, if I could define it this way. Yeah, it's the weight of sin, but it's a refusal to come to the throne of grace. It's a refusal to come to God on his terms. It might even be something that on the surface seems good, like a self-righteous attempt to get right, which we cannot do. And I don't know that there's anything more the enemy wants to do for Christians if he can't get us to denounce our faith, if he can just sideline us in condemnation. I think that'll do. He'll live with that. One man said, fear your own hardness of heart more than anything else. Fear that more than anything else. However, as was Isaiah's experience, and this is beautiful, and it just cycles again and again, or the little bit of Spanish I know, otra vez, y otra vez, y otra vez. Conviction leads to repentance, which leads to reconciliation, which leads to mission to go out to those who need conviction, which will lead to their repentance and to their reconciliation so that they can go out on mission and tell others who need you get it? That's the cycle. That's the pattern from brokenness to mission. So I have no idea what your mission is. I just know you have one. I know you have one. A holy God didn't only save you from something. He saved you for something. I don't know where you're at this morning in the cycle but I pray no one's in condemnation. Why? Because there's no reason for anyone to be in condemnation. Because while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me, for you. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But where there is conviction, watch where God will take you. And where that ought to end is not merely with a, ah, forgiveness is nice, but rather, Lord, send me. Send me. Speak to your people, Lord, by your spirit, as only you can do. Take this feeble attempt from a broken vessel and bring it near as only you can. In the name of Jesus, we pray and for the great mission, the great commission. Amen.